Welcome to the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Ed Stevens, and my able co-host, Oliver Jones. This conversation is with Steve King. Steve is the founder and CEO of Black Swan, one of the most exciting and fastest growing tech companies in Europe. Black Swan uses AI to predict the next big trend. By analyzing the incessant stream of social media conversations, the product is able to predict what customers will want in 12 to 18 months' time. Steve, who studied cognitive science and describes himself as the accidental CEO, was previously a house DJ, lost his dad's pension on a music business, and came up with the idea of Black Swan while four pints to the good on a trip to Canada. So without further ado, we bring you Steve King. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. We are with Steve King, founder of Black Swan, one of the UK's fastest growing tech startups and a company described by Wired as one that can predict the future. Steve, thank you very much for joining us. Very nice to be here. Other than the the terrific rise of the Black Swan, you had quite an interesting career before that, and even the emergence of Black Swan itself is a good story. So going back to when you sort of did cognitive science, I mean, how did you get to your current position today? Crikey, so that was probably slightly longer than I'd like to uh, to, to give away, but it was probably 20 years ago um, I got really interested in AI from science fiction. There are only three universities in the world that did um, cognitive science back at the time. We, I joined it and I just loved it because it, uh, it was computer science, psychology, philosophy, mathematics, like amazingly cool topics. Which science fiction was it? Oh, so Asimov. I'm a Asimov, okay. absolutely. Mm. Like, yeah, yeah, nuts. I mean, if you look at Harry Seldon, you know, from his books, yeah. from Foundation series, that's pretty much like who I want to be. <laughs> um, so, and then I did that and we all, at the time, we were beginning to build early robots and we were like, yeah, in three years time, like AI is going to, take over everything 17 years later <laughs> just about getting to where we should have been <laughs> in three years time uh, so I kind of went off became a DJ ran a music studio went bankrupt kind of came out the other side started another business um, a more adult based business kind of that did reasonably well kind of but exited another failed business another succeeded business, never, but nothing really stuck like I didn't really get to anywhere as we were here until sort of Black Swan so go back to the DJing how did that marry up with your sort of cerebral pursuits and your, your sci-fi vision, or, or was it just a fun outlet for living your, your <laughs> It best was a life? fun outlet. I just, um, I loved music when I was young, and I became just randomly quite successful. I won a Welsh DJ mixing championship. Really? Uh, and then, yeah, and then suddenly I was touring all over the world, so I kind of took three years right. off life to, you know, explore whether that was for me. But any particular destinations of, of choice that uh, we might choice. know? But everyone loves Ibiza, and I quite enjoyed there, but I also like kind of Barcelona and South Spain. Um, I did K um, so I did a lot of the East because it was just starting a bit of Japan as well. Cool. Um, so yeah, I was just really lucky. I was there at the time when House was just coming out of the UK, mm. and they didn't really know who was a good J DJ and who wasn't. So I managed to kind of go under the name of you know some of the places I'd played at what and sneak the under the radar. So well, if you're called Steve King, you don't really you need don't, a DJ true, name. That's, so that's, true, that's a really King. good name. Yeah, yeah. and and so. Then the, the origin story of Black Swan, as I understand it, um, happened in Toronto. So I'll hand over to you too. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think the difference when you, um, when I think about how lucky we've been in Black Swan to maybe the things before, it's always the team, you know, around you know, who and how you work together. So uh, Black Swan was founded with a good friend of mine, Hugo Amos, um, who at the time was a customer. And we used to talk about data all the time. And just, we ran a sort of big, large scale website campaigns. You know, people like PepsiCo would spend five million pounds for, you know, building out a TV campaign and a, you know, and a website and everything. And we'd collect all this amazing information, and then it would run 
for about three months and then it was like big fanfare and then it would just be switched off and it was just disappeared. Didn't they just, were they the ones who came out with that ad campaign that drew a lot of negative attention? About sharing uh, the, the Pepsi, and then it seemed to be too kind of oh, condescending. Yes. Or, more recently, yeah, yeah, it was quite recently. Kyle Jenner, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think they, they got eclipsed by Gillette making an even worse blunder, but they <laughs> upset the kind of yeah. The it's always good to have someone else to mess up, you know, so you yeah. can cover your mess up. But is it a good thing? I can't. I, can't, I can never tell. It is really interesting, isn't it? When you when you kind of come to my, my chosen topic, prediction, you know, it's like they say in the news. Not you know, not any news is kind of good news. It just really depends, you know, how it contextualizes and you know, and how you recover from these things. So I, I don't know. That that was a tough one. We we never had anything like that. Um, we did things like um, something called Brit trips, where people would be able to collect coupons and vouchers and. Um, do as a flavour, which is people guessing their own crisp. They're really interesting things. But I think f- from a black swan perspective, then we would get depressed because you'd learn so much about people. And then, again, we just, like, turn it off <laughs> and then take the server and throw it out. Gone. And then this frustration led to one fateful night in a pub in Toronto. One, yeah, four Guinnesses down. <laughs> right. You know, and I've actually, we still have in our office the, um, the back of a receipt. And we were just drawing all these kind of data sources and going... Sure, like if you link them all together, this makes so much sense. It's quite a big, it's quite a big receipt. So you could justify by ordering more drinks to get the, the paper you need. Funny, to, you must have been there. Yeah, it was, exactly I've been to Toronto, well. and, uh, you know. Uh, they like to drink in Canada, actually. They, they are. They're very good at it, aren't they? Yeah. Yes, yeah, better than me. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite a big um, receipt. By the Did end. it feel conceited to, to be right, to be full of ideas and half drunk and scribbling them on the back of a piece of thing. And did you think of this is going to turn into something great? Or did it genuinely feel like you're like, we, we've really stumbled across something here? So I don't know, I've never thought this really good, but I just there may be a bit of data interesting there that I've never thought about is every time I've had, I, I think I've had lots of very good world-changing ideas in a pub, like most people. Yeah. That's probably the only one I wrote down. So who knows? You know, maybe mm. <laughs> maybe if we'd written more down, we might, we might know. But no, it was, it was just, it was just felt, you know, we felt so angry about it. That's kind of, I think, well, you start these businesses and mm. you're like, someone's got to fix this. AI yeah. was meant to be here 15 years ago and we're still... And we're still, waiting, yeah, faffing yeah. around and, yeah, and not really thinking about it. So, yeah, I think it was just the excitement and because of the situation we were in, you know, and then AI began to become around, you know, predictive analytics. And you're well, like, it's quite, quite big in Canada, am I right? Because they, they've got lots of uh, neuroscience institutes. Uh, they're big into their, their AI and data science. So actually, Toronto is quite a good... Yes. Yeah, it is. Back. I mean, that was complete chance. We were actually just working on a project. Yeah. And it was in a pub. But yes, I've heard a lot of really good things from there. And when was this? This was 2011? Talking about 2011. 2011. Yes. And yeah. so the next morning, slightly hungover, yeah. but still uh, buoyed up with enthusiasm. What, what were the next steps? Yeah. yeah. And uh, at the time, Hugo was working for PepsiCo. So you kind of left to that situation is at the time is it, is it a project you know do we are we gonna you know are we gonna do this together you know you're gonna a customer and so we kind of toyed with the idea I went to the business I was at which was an earlier business I'd um, found it had been sold on and we kind of said look I think this is really good so I think we should try and you know try and find both companies to invest and they just kind of looked at it and went yeah it's, it looks like a piece of paper with a load of circles on it <laughs> <laughs> um, so they didn't you know they, they were quite excited about the idea of joining data and everything but they didn't really want to put three or four million quid in to make the first platform so so we just got increasingly, you know, frustrated with it, and then eventually, kind of, had the nerve to both leave our jobs and begin to build this in a small way. And what was the idea as it was then? Yeah, good question. <laughs> yeah, so the outrage and the frustration. <laughs> the, if, yeah. so, if somebody overheard you in the pub, 
steam steam coming. rising oh, there, yeah what yes. would they have, what would they've heard <laughs> and does it does it match what it is now obviously you you've broadened its its scope now but does your sort of elevator pitch descriptor of it now match pretty much what it was then high level vision yeah 100% okay. um, actual what we end how we actually ended up getting there Three percent, right? And that might okay. be an overshoot, overreach. Um, what happened is Hugo. Well, we love this idea of black swans. So the idea that you know people always thought they're only white swans, and in the 16th century here in London, you know, it was impossible to think of there being a black swan because white swan is a queen's animal. You know, you just wasn't thought. No one had seen or even thought. We used to say it's about as likely as seeing a black swan. There just couldn't be one. Like couldn't be one until we sent a boat to Perth and then all these black swans. Mm. And it was Hugo who coined that and and it, that kind of got a bit of momentum for us as well. Then because you're like, all these companies, like they haven't really got a good clue. They're, they're making these decisions and there's all this data is out there to help them see, you know, what the world is really like. But they'll just blindly, you know, refactor their sales data, you know, and, and we would just get, that kind of really helped. I think the name really helped us have the vision. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we cycled through so many things badly before right. we actually got to the project where we are, you know, wasted so many millions of pounds uh, as part of the process, I think, of finding, yeah. of finding um, where we got to. And so when you pitched that vision, what did, what did it sound like? Uh, it was much more at the beginning, we want to bring together all these data sources so that you can see them together, because the power of combining data, which we all know now, it was huge. Yeah. That was really it. Um, we also talked a bit about its predictive functions and the Black Swan name. But I'd say when we started, we thought we were going to be a, like a big database kind of what you'd see a data mart now of all different kind of marketing and sales data sources. But we never really got there, got there with that. Mm -hmm. I guess these these kind of companies go through different names and iterations and acceptances. So th there was sentiment analysis was a phrase used a lot, which is we're gonna go out and grab sentiment from the, mm. the market and we'll use this and then it becomes sort of more big data and then becomes prediction engine. So it's, I can see why with the best will in the world back in 2011, there's still some catching up from the market to do from the perspective of quality data coming from mm. the internet as well and knowing where these sources are to turning into a business where the corporates will now value the insight you're so getting on these people that they want to reach, right? Yeah. Um, so, so you, you came back, and then you did you found it right away. You get back on the plane, and you and Hugo go and incorporate. And no, no. So I, I'd made a bit of money from um, my last company, um, but we both kind of, you know, we actually both left our jobs, but contracted in other places mm -hmm. for a long time because we because we couldn't. You just couldn't afford it, um, and but I just got it the fifth day. So basically, I'd work four days, so I could work on Black Swan on the fifth day. Mm. And then I was also kind of working for my old company as well at the same time. And I remember like one of the most terrifying moments. We we just started working with Disney, um, and I got to the reception, and Disney's got a really weird reception even now in Hammersmith. We're on the top. Everything's really echoey. So when um, I sort of introduced myself, I saw someone from my old company, or the company I should still be in, <laughs> <laughs> kind of that. And the lady was like, so you're Steve King, yes, what company? I was like, Black Swan. <laughs> she was like, sorry, what's it? Swan, Swan, Swan. And he said, I remember the look this guy gave you. I was like, hmm, as he went in. So yeah, it was a little bit of a struggle at the beginning because you know you have to ever do everything the right way, but you just got to find room in your life somehow to find yeah. the time to get a bit of momentum and you know, get things going. So you found a client before you were even full-time? Yes, yeah, in fact, I remember we'd had this really nice girl who was doing brilliantly now, um, uh, but she, we basically hired her because we could afford one person and we couldn't really afford our own jobs. And she had to sit there in this kind of 
old rework type place on her own, just sort of answering emails to make it seem like Hugo and I were in there, you know, replying. Yeah, yeah. So she would have her account, she'd reply really quickly, let me get back to you on that. And she was bright, so she could just, you know, mm, she could improvise. Yeah. And then in about five, six o'clock, we'd arrive and we'd like, <laughs> kind of actually do the work and then kind of go back home and this kind of crazy double life. Um, just about on the side of you know what I think was fair and appropriate. Yeah. How did you win the client though? Oh, that was amazing. Um, really lucky. In fact, um, the client I first worked with uh, was from Disney. Yeah. At the time, he's not there anymore. He's actually one of the founders. Uh, one of the guys on White Swan at the moment has helped to start it, and he's on the on the board of White Swan. Um, so I'm, he's an IT guy, and he, I know him very well. He won't mind me saying this. He's an IT guy. He's kind of maybe on the well, he is on the scale. Um, so John is brilliant. So I remember going and, and sort of sitting with him, and what we were trying to, and we'd been talking because we'd been introduced by a company called EMC because they were selling big data appliances, mm-hmm. and the, like everyone knew big data was important, and like they'd spend a lot of money on devices, but they didn't when it came to it no one was actually doing anything with it so they saw Black Swan as a little potential way of Disney really using their devices so introduced us and I remember sitting with John um, and sort of saying look you know I, I think we've got a hunch that if we that we can predict you know how whether movies will be popular or not on a weekend based on weather so you know we think that rain you know drives people to theatres and as we said it I was like that's probably pretty obvious isn't it and but John was like look you know we don't we don't know if that's true or not you know that we we assume that's true but no one's ever done a scientific study so I was like we'll do a scientific study to do that and uh, and he was like well you know I mean we could do that I'm not really sure so I said look we'll do it for free mm. you know and if we're wrong then you'd have to pay us and if we're right then you can pay us and he sort of looked at me and he's like okay cool right, this, why not mm-hmm. um, so we did it um, and we had our like then head of data science we just managed to kind of rush through the door who was only about 22 at yeah. the time and kind of like we want to prove this and he did some amazing work and proved that rain doesn't drive people to cinemas <laughs> at all really <laughs> there's absolutely no correlation <laughs> none <laughs> none <laughs> So, and so then you went back to went back to Disney. And That's slightly awkward. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so he went back. But what he did find, like every good data scientist, and you know what these tools allow you to do, a bit more proactive, is he found that low pressure is like a bell curve. So, and think about it logically, it makes sense. So if you get three days of low pressure people get really frustrated they just want to get out and do something but they don't know if it's going to rain so they're likely to go to a theater where they can go and see a movie and you know not get caught out who goes out in the rain yeah true true <laughs> true true yeah i mean also- and then did you start using that data about low pressure did they are really interesting so what we've done then is just say look there's some power in this and part of what we'd find and part of what had made our model so interesting is um, Disney being kind enough to give us the data for historical movies so we could train the model but we'd also put some mentions of like tweets in really arbitrary like we'd only had a developer license on Twitter but we just found if we added how the, the volume of tweets that was also quite good at making the model more accurate it was a way of cleaning really and understanding the weather better um, as always you do um, yeah, with with algorithms. So that so once we did that, then and we kind of presented it, we were like, it's not only that that's important, but there's something in this social data. Yeah, the fact that we've managed to make that model so accurate, um, and we then we started experimenting with, you know, oh, could we could we predict future movies and how popular they'd be with tweets? And we're like, well, there kind of is a correlation. And then you know we just started thinking, well, if we could really use this, like Twitter data and social data, a bit more scientifically. 
who knows mm. <laughs> it mm. might be really useful and then we finally were on the kind of where black swan has kind of got itself to at the moment which is listening to hundreds of millions of conversations publicly said on the internet yeah. in order to predict what's going to happen in the future wow and and frozen is that where you is that where you came to frozen when, when did frozen come out oh, don't ask i got my 2013 niece, uh, or something five five years ago so my niece was five and we 2014. Yeah. yeah, that was um, so Disney are an amazing company. Yeah. Um, and I think like every good company, they use Black Swan for what it was good for, yeah. and they internalised. You know, they have loads of data scientists, um, all and they they were very friendly and they were very professional and they paid us very well for our work and even, you know, you know, I have no complaints. But one to realise what they could do with it, mm. <laughs> they had plenty of data scientists to do it themselves. So we went home. So Frozen was really towards the end and where we really had. I think done something really great. Yeah. You know, we'd we'd proven all this stuff out. We built some fantastic models. They were being used and still are, I believe, being used in Disney to predict uh, future success. Um, but Frozen was brilliant on its own because it was the first time we started looking at things like uh, merchandise. So not just how popular will the movie be, but you know how popular will the merchandise be in six months? So I mean, it's like that. The company is amazing, Disney, and what they've done, and you know their foresight of seeing this was incredible. When I but did, sorry, did your data allow that? Did it inform the way they made the film? No. So um, Netflix do that now, and in yeah. fact, quite uh, um, Twitter do that a lot with certain studios as well. Okay. So that is, yeah, we were we were more interested in how popular things are going to be in the future and predicting it, rather and rather than giving Disney the features of that model, which is what you do. Yeah. And you'd say, look, these are the characters, and here's the co-plays. I mean, I'm sure, I'm absolutely 100 percent sure Disney are doing things. That yes. They, yeah. You know themselves. And well, it's in the data. particularly as they come out with their streaming service, because Netflix has thrived off being able to look at Netflix's user base to. Create create content that they will enjoy which to some degree has been a good thing Netflix has created some genuinely really original and quite exciting content mm. but obviously with Disney getting into the streaming wars you've got to think that they will want to, to use that to inform their content creation especially if you can animate it right like you can create the perfect mm. characters mm. I think it all sounds quite Black Mirror mm. yeah how do, how do you guys draw a line between you know what's sort of a bit dystopian use of predictive data and what's actual really beneficial yeah there's two big things for me and you know black swan i think has a high moral compass which is almost unusual in you know some of these some of these situations so f the first thing is we only use what i would call public broadcast data so twitter for example is a channel where you are very knowingly broadcasting your opinion um when you're on a blog um reddit or something you're mm. bit, you know so we're not in, interested in any social data which isn't brought publicly broadcasted. You couldn't just go on the internet and find yourself with a browser. Um, so it means that we don't like have any of the kind of scary who said what. We don't really care who said it. Mm. We're interested in the flows of life rather than the individual uh, individual people. Um, and then, and then I think it's just your application of it. So, you know, we could definitely now reverse engineer our trends and make, use them to make advertising packages. So, because we know that in eighteen months' time, you know, maybe dragon fruit is going to be a huge ingredient, and we know why people are using it. Maybe it's good for circulation. You know, why people are. We could use that to reflect back to people, you know, the perfect marketing plan, and we could use that to then manipulate people into using it. So we tend not to do that. We just we we think it's best just to stick to prediction yeah. tell people what the future looks like yeah you know, and just like they've got all the tools they need then to go and you know decide how they want to attack it with their mm. brand and of these these channels you listen to is it necessary to have all of them do you find some of them just find more reliable resources for for contextual information because twitter obviously you can cook up a storm on twitter and, and lots can be said and i'm 
assume you see these little eruptions hmm. happen in activity. But yeah, of, of the content streams, which one do you, do you use the most or rely on the most? So I could, I'd say stop me if I do, because I could literally talk about this for hours. So, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> and it depends how you look at it. So if you're a data scientist, you're fascinated to see the features of your model, you know, what are the things that tweak it. If you're like a, a philosopher of life, you know, like me, I just, I love the way that I, I can watch trends move from like Reddit onto Twitter and then onto the news mm -hmm. and then twist back being something else and you know, internationally. So, so all these data sources have a, have a different, you know, a place in our models, like a like a big patchwork quilt. You know, sometimes um, Twitter is the most important data source for a long-term prediction. You know, particularly around food, where people talk a lot about the food they like, or events, or movies. You can't really beat Twitter. It's got a great API. It's got a huge volume. Mm. You know, it's got it's it's just a great general general data source for those things. Um, not many people tend to tweet about buying their fridge on Twitter, though. So if yeah. you go and work with Samsung, you know, you're not going to get much joy from that. So you want to go and find what high look at ratings, see what people see. What people see. So we use different data sources for different problems, but like what I'm really proud about what we've done is we can take that away, that problem away from everyone else. You know, we just, we can give insight across anything and the machines and the AI understand where to look for, you know, the right kind of insight, mm. the right kind of data source. So as a client who's never heard of Black Swan and comes to you, you've got three, I guess, is it three, would you have three use cases? You've got Trendscope, you've got Horizon, you've got Feather. So how do you how do you pitch them to? Good question. So I'll just talk about Feather first. If yeah. That's right. So when we found a black swan, I said we had no money, um, but we did. Have, we were really good at digital digital engineering, and we had great developers. Um, and in my old company, we'd done a lot in aviation. Um, so we were still talking to some of our aviation customers from our last job, and what, some of them gave us some work. So we couldn't. Because we couldn't, get, we needed to raise 100, 200 a month just to keep our platform going, which we had no customers for at, the, at wow. one point. You know, we, we just didn't have the cash, so we we used our skills in a digital agency then to, you know, to then start to create cash so that we could then we just invested everything uh, into the platform. Um, and so about two years ago, when we cracked our first long-term prediction algorithm like over a year. Um, we realized that we had something really important that finally the company had got to the bit where it you know it just needed to stop doing everything <laughs> apart from its core mission um, uh, but what we'd done is we'd actually created an amazing kind of uh, digital agency in aviation and the guys in it are so smart they they solved loads of problems because when you put technology in a plane it's all built on something called mil spec which is military specification because it's kind of important not to bring the things down so <laughs> like working in that environment is a very unique and smart skill and they'd produced loads of like pieces of software and when like most companies when they come to this moment I think they go right okay well, we're just going to divest everything apart from the core but we looked at like we had 150 people doing amazing work in aviation and we'd go to our board meetings and it was almost like Sophie's choice. It was like you had to love one company or the other or one part of the business or the other because one was a really profitable business mm. that even now brings in five million a year of profit. The other one is loss making, but SaaS growth off the roof. Mm. And even your own investors can't agree what, which <laughs> one. So we were like, oh, we just like, this is just madness. We're not going to kill any of them unless it's stop. Um, so we um, are now separating the two businesses. So Feather really okay. isn't part of the Black Swan prediction plan, yeah. but is now much like a profitable, strong standing business, which is the biggest supplier of connected technology in aviation. Okay. So it's been a, like, a Feather is a strange thing in a way, but for us, we're just really proud and shows what people can do, you know, if yeah. given an opportunity, even if it's not what you meant to do, yeah, yeah. Know, when, yeah, yeah. you know, necessarily when you started. Um, and then, 
So we're speaking about our Trends platforms, and so Trendscope is a SaaS product. It's beautiful. You can log in. You can see each individual trend. It's really cool. Yeah. So, so Ollie, you look at the dashboard, and there's like sort of five stages of, of okay. prediction, and you can see something go up in trend, and then well, I don't know what the, the yeah, terms. I probably knew this research. Yeah. Well, I, it, I, it's, <laughs> what, what, what are the, 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 the phases that it goes through? It's so we start off at uh, dormant, uh, and then emerging, and each, if, if you imagine each one of the five is, it starts off as probably not much happening and low volume. It goes through emerging, which is really early. So if you're a big company like Danone, um, you know, any sort of large blue chip company, it's interesting, but you're not gonna productionize it because the numbers are too small, but yeah. you need to keep your eye on it because in two years time, and it passes then through where most of our customers, which is just sort of late emerging, where it's, you know, it's got a bit of, it's got a bit of volume, you've probably seen it in some local cafes or maybe in a different country in the world it's going off and you probably want to act on it now you know you've got six months to get to market and then we have sort of the decaying and then we have the kind of please stay well away from this thing and if you and if you think about like the way the world works and we've got the science now behind this is trends start so things start on social and news and things mm -hmm. and then sales come after and roughly speaking rule of thumb about six months after so wherever you are on that trend manifestation is six months later sales are going to be so if you're early you know you know you're going to sell more and towards the end you know don't keep <laughs> don't keep supplying or don't keep buying this product because people in six months time people want to stop mm. buying it so that trend life cycle is really important for for business um, for some reason it's making me think of so there a few years ago um, milk farmers in the uk were complaining about not being able to make any money at all and then the ones who've done really well recently are the ones who've started making uh, sort of auxiliary products with the milk, mm. so like kefir mm. and yogurt and stuff like that, but specifically kefir. And I'm just wondering whether someone could have used your platform, a farmer, to, to predict that and move into kefir production quicker. Yeah, you're spot on. So we right. get a lot of private equity um, interest now as well. So that's kind of what they're thinking is, you know, mm. what are the right kind of you know, trends that people are going to, and companies are going to start, where do I place my bets? Uh, yeah, you're spot on. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of the time, like humans are brilliant predictors. You know, we're often kind of given a bad name, but like as human beings, we're really good at predicting the future. It's just a problem and with danger. Those, uh, yeah. There's a good book on that, isn't yeah. there, called Super Predictors or something like that. I can't remember who wrote it, and he was talking about the best, the people who, who just had the knack. Yeah, disproportionately yeah. good. Uh, and yeah. the systems that they use to kind of keep reevaluating rather than... Yes. Yeah, there's a problem with the human mind. Oh, Not a problem, this is terrible, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but like, so we used to have this guy we knew, and he's called Dave, and he and he worked at this company which we were pitching to, I won't name because we didn't win the pitch, but, um, and our pitch was, because Dave was brilliant, he'd always know how popular a movie would be. And if you'd asked him, he'd go, well, it's gonna be smaller than Frozen, but bigger than so-and-so, and it's gonna act like that. And he would just see things. But the problem with the human mind is that kind of we're a network, so what we do is we're, we're waiting. So what we don't see are things totally from the outside. You know, our, our knowledge and our predictions are based on our prior learnings. So we don't have any other data other than the data we have. Um, so humans are great predictors, you know, a lot of the time, as long as there's no new in the environment, and then, but new can like cause us to do things. Mm. But, context. but predictions yeah. it, it is also fascinating so let's take film prediction is you have the standalone entity and you could have a, a screen viewing where we all sit down and we all agree this is a great film but if it's really scheduled clatters with 1917 and all the Oscar you know uh, who has you're now in context at which point that film mm. may underperform based on the fact that of the landscape maybe the the third best film of all time, but if the two best films mm. are also being released at the same time. there's been no low pressure. Mm. Always no, yeah, yeah, yeah. an absence yeah. of um, 
yeah, of, of rain. There hasn't been any absence of rain this year at no, all. <laughs> but yeah, so like, I, I think that's what's so interesting. I guess my brain is going loads of different directions to what you're doing because there is a degree with which you can, can somebody market manipulate? Can people create sentiment mm-hmm. that's not there? Can they say, we see a trend emerging and if we just nudge it with our considerable yeah. resources into becoming a, a fruitful endeavor, are we pushing mm-hmm. a trend that was you know, maybe not going to catch fire? So I don't know how where the brands That's sit with. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is like this is stuff I love. So do, do you, and do you consult to them heavily on the data you're finding? Yeah, and, and it's that same thing. Is just your example is brilliant there. So you know, a movie may come out, people may sit. You use the data source of people's opinion which has been really accurate for you for the last 12 months and then you're right someone else puts a movie just like it out so now you've only got half of those kind of people who like going to your movie maybe it's romantic and then the weather hits it so that for me these are all black swan moments Mm. because if you don't have that other data source of the weather or you don't have the other data source of your competitors movies you know you're never going to be able to make the right prediction so in in theory what you want is all the information in the world in your model but that gets a little bit overbearing Mm. um so you know what you need to do is you, you need to know how accurate you need to be how far out and you know what data sources can I use in order to get there um, and then if you can you've got to avoid black swan moments you've got to make sure all the data sources you have are all the important data sources and something doesn't come from left to field and you know completely annihilate you could and you human so presumably like Twitter then and these network sites have just been completely invaluable for for getting that kind of data it's brilliant. So what, what happens in yeah, social networking and like Twitter is it gives you the outside in. So like already loads of companies are really, really good at getting their sales data and projecting forward. You know, that, that's why they're so efficient these days. But what happens is they understand the context of our people going off cheese or you know, mm-hmm. so what you just get from social data is that outside in, you know, that view of other people which isn't in your sphere, mm. which is going to affect your business, which you didn't see coming because you just happen can't happen to talk to hundred million people at once. It's a little bit overbearing. But you can you can really start to see those things coming in and how that'll act in your your environment. Yeah. So social is like it's just a gift, well, would it, yeah. <laughs> which is the mirror. That is that is the mirror, right, to your business. So the black mirror analogy you made is not yeah. that unreasonable. That is your mirror. Yeah, and and you, I think I'm right in saying that you're one of two companies in the world that has full access to Twitter's. I think someone referred to it as a firehose of data. <laughs> So we are, yeah. Is that technically yeah, well <laughs> You've just gone with it. You are like, you're sounding good. Um, so there are quite companies actually have uh, the virus, but it's a very important point. So um, we're actually now Twitter's only uh, partner who use this much data and prediction this way, um, cool. uh, which is amazing. And Twitter have been, for Twitter, it's a new business. You know, So we're learning this together. They've been an amazing partner, very patient <laughs> with us. You know, and, and also... You kind of remind me of Enigma, you know, from that Batman film where he's just sucking up everybody's brainwaves. <laughs> yeah, he sends himself loopy because he's at the, the, the melting pot of all of this, yeah. He was, yeah, I think sometimes I don't say I just probably feel like that, bless them. Um, so yeah, Twitter are uh, really, really important. They've been really good to kind of incubators because I guess they're smart. It's a new business model, yeah. isn't it? Twitter yeah. not only can help you amplify and get mm. customer service, but it can also predict what you should be doing. Yeah. So yeah, we are a very unique position with Twitter and thankful for their support. Mm. Mm. Could you humor me? Can you predict what he's going to ask? Yeah. <laughs> good, good luck. I, I, can, have I can never predict. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can either. So I guess something quite topical at the moment was the film Joker Mm. which there was a big um, outcry over whether the critics could agree on the scoring system that the audience was giving it people then you know obviously it being an 18 and not a 15 would cut down the audience size it performed exceptionally well do you think that's something that that you as a person would have expected do you think that's something that the platform 
would have predicted or might have predicted? I would have got it wrong. Um, personally, yeah. uh, I, I don't have a lot of the data sources. Um, the platform would have predicted it perfectly. It's just mm. really boringly predictable, the platform is itself. Right. Right. Um, humans will be, weirdly, humans mostly are slightly more accurate most of the time than computers, you know, based on your investment. Can, but um, humans don't see, you know, the flop coming. Humans don't see the big one coming. Mm. Because, again, we don't have the, the context of the outside data. So that would have been an easy one to predict now because we've all got plenty of data sources to understand, you know, what people are interested in, genres, you know, the twisted way that uh, kind of we like our movies going at the moment. So that would have been easy for the machine. And what about, like, political things? Like, mm. if, if Black Swan had been extant during, um, what was that film called about the financial crisis? Big Short? The Big Short. Yeah. Would you have just ruined the whole plot for them? <laughs> you just t- told them the answer straight away and they wouldn't have had to sort of go for the back and forth. and <laughs> Try not to. <laughs> but would it have been able to predict that? Again, uh, I'm always, I feel like I'm always saying a bit like, sorry, but it's as long as you get the right data sources, yeah. anything can be done. You know, wow. it's just like... It's, yeah, I feel like the answer is always going to be yes. It's always going to be, yeah. So but it, cost is a thing. I mean, right. I, so my favourite way of thinking about prediction, and this is you know, not agreed by most people, but I like it. It's just like being a really good card player in a poker game you know really go out and kind of see where the game's going quite yeah. early on now what can happen is a random event can happen you know data from the outside he didn't see can change the game you know so then they have their eyes to be able to read the other data sources and really that's kind of how these things go out you know you might it becomes increasingly convincing mm. as you get more data and more mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of closer to the event that, that you can see that you see the end so you can end up spoiling things for people but then do you end up feeling any sort of like moral compunction to look at things like climate change and you know predictions around that because then presumably you could present a really compelling case with the data yeah um it's exactly why we started white swan is there's you know there's not enough hours in the day this is an amazing technology you know social data people giving their opinions you know, such an amazing idea, and AI such an amazing technology, and now they're married. Black, there's not enough people in Black Swan to get through the amazing use cases. Yeah. So, mm. um, the idea with White Swan is we give all of our IP for free, and we have many of our guys volunteer. But the real idea is to get this technology into people's hands where it's useful. You know, not for profits and other charities where they would never get there um, to answer problems like that. Well, yeah. I mean, we started doing things like that ourselves, but we just don't have enough time for, for sure. everything for that sure. comes to the door to help people. So we'd rather now give people the technology so yeah. that they can learn it themselves and use it. And, and presumably there's cause and effect pairings related to prediction, right? Mm. So um, th- this is not going to be a specific example, but let's say a populist arises at a time where people are feeling emotional and fed up and mm-hmm. they, they come through the noise with their charisma and, and, and that happens. So. Will you look for patterns in in where larger uh, actions, activities have been moving, politically speaking, whatever it might be, and then use those to refine the sort of the kind of content people might watch um, and make pairings like that? And then do you get times where you go off plan and you go, we're in a a territory where you can't see the push-pull effects as easily? yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Um, it's like kind of nuclear physics when you're observing something. You know, you are in effect changing its shape, yeah. um, and you, you definitely get that because obviously we go to we work with big brands now. We tell them to do something. You know, there's going to be a big market. 
um, and then they do it, and then in a way it looks like it's all interlinked. But like, so I have a, a couple of strong views on this. I'm not a believer in free will, so that kind of makes it much easier for me to to comprehend. Mm. Um, so some of the really cool technology the last six months we've perfected is now in 18 months time I can tell you how big the market for for example dragon fruit is I can tell you it's going to be a 220 million market who are the kind of people how it's going to work that market size won't change depending on who picks it up the end result will be the same but getting there is the journey so which brand is the one which staples its brand to dragon fruit in time to be able to take advantage of it you know the game how the game unfolds is up to the people but the end result is always the same it's also okay. I feel like there's something in the offing to do with dragon fruit. Yeah, I know. We're, 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 we're still sat in 18 months' time yeah, yeah, wondering yeah, why we yeah. didn't. Um, I guess I guess at some level, there also has to be some coherence to the brand, to the consumer to be able to deliver mm. that because if suddenly Danone bring out dragon fruit or, or Pepsi bring out dragon like if Pepsi bring out dragon fruit, I don't think they can justify the, the journey into that market as easily yet it is a commercial opportunity potentially. Mm. So presumably they've got some very smart people internally deciding how that that fits yeah, in the story. And, you know, creatives and marketers, the, the human things will never be able to replace. You know, creativity, marketeers, you know, they, they'll look at why people are using something like Dragon Fruit, talking about it, and they'll make it into a beautiful story which will, you know, g- get you in love with the idea of the brand's view and, and your view. And before you know it, you won't, you know, you'd be drinking it. So I have a, a question that does, that does emerge to mind. So we obviously have the startup market is, is ticking along quite nicely. There is, as we can see in Founders Factory, this sort of corporate ventures are moving into this space mm. and corporates are starting to arrive and, and incubate and accelerate and all these things. So could it become that the amount of information that these corporates have would justify lots of small corporate spin-out startups mm. of their own making to compete with, with legitimate startups that are... I, I think that is a great idea. I mean, and, and if you look at you, you guys and others are getting a lot of success of, it, it, for me, this is really product lifestyle conversation. You know, whereabout is a product in its life cycle? Mm. You know, if, if it's a well-developed product, you want a finely old operational machine with KPIs and everything can, you know, from something mature. But, you know, big companies aren't so good at producing the more, you know, it might fail, it might not fail, just because their systems aren't able to cope with that thinking. Mm. So, you know, they get caught halfway sometimes in between of trying to innovate, you know, with people on 250 grand a year wages who, mm. you know, <laughs> who are like be 40 five kids you know it's like it's, it's it's tough so i think yeah this idea of incubating something just outside right inside i think is just a brilliant idea but sorry to add to it because i think this is important time is everything you know it's, it's no a big company it doesn't really matter if a big company knows about a really big trend too early mm. because it's not going to be the right size to take advantage of it so sometimes you know this is just a really great way of testing ideas and getting the thing right and then bring it into your company and and kind of you know get it working presumably it's good for them to know when to invest in that's what they want to know yeah and really interestingly i mean one of i was talking to one of our customers and they we were laughing because it's like none of this is new like if most people most bands know 80 percent of what we tell them so they could actually you know, mm. four out of five times to get it themselves but just when do you act mm. you know when is the time when it's going to be the right market for you this is where you can close the loop on the optimum explore exploit strategy right so you you will know that it is worth them putting a team of three people on it for six months statistically speaking this many opportunities. Oh, that bit of the market, yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 and you'll know the signs of it picking up 
in your internal innovation mm. lab and therefore can justify statistically speaking where it will go next an yeah. investment yeah we do but we would love to one day be our own fund you know because we that'd be fun yeah because then we you've just nailed it i mean that's exactly the thing we get excited about over our next four pints like last night um, <laughs> about where we're taking the company you know now we've proved over 100 products are on shelf this is real <laughs> it's no longer a cool science this is a, like it's very real so would that be cool I think so. I think I think it becomes cool when we accept that it's going to happen. Mm. I think some people m may feel that we're being dislodged as agents in our own existence and, and feel unsettled by that. But I mean, if you don't breathe from freedom, I believe we are agents. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, so really it, helpful. <laughs> 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 and, and Do you listen to Sam Harris? No, no, he no. He, he's, he believes the same. He does. Oh, he does yeah. a, a quite a well. He's an American. Uh, oh, equally you. smart neuroscientist yeah. I think and he does a yeah. podcast about free will oh, he'd have to win. oh that'd be brilliant about, you. Would, he's not quite it. charming with it as you are though I think he makes you feel like we, we just droid droids no um, no because he does a mindfulness and stuff oh, so he's, he? yeah he presents it quite well I think where I can relate to is we have a similar dilemma at AIN which is that we have startups angel investment sorry angel investment mm -hmm. no, yeah. the startups emerge and we have information on the investor and we have information on the startup and the pitch and to some degree, we can start to engineer serendipity, mm. which is if you have somebody from an inv a whole. So we have 107 investors, let's say, from KPMG that we've, we've tagged as we know. Mm. So that's our largest pool of, of associated corporate things that we've labelled. Therefore, we can work out which companies have the highest prediction of having employees that will start to angel invest. Then we can go to the pitch deck Very and nice. say, "Oh, amazing! You've got an advisor from Goldman Sachs. Mm. Send it to the Goldman Sachs." investor base or, or put that message forward and they could all go, oh my God, the guy from Goldman Sachs so is there. And so by that point, we're sort of in there dabbling and playing mm. God. We don't do that, but it's often occurred to me that we so could cool. or should. And mm. then people, because it's like a free will discussion, right? It's like that moment of serendipity gives you a good feeling that this startup somehow stands out differently from the other ones you've seen and somehow you're more connected, it was more meant to be. And, and yeah, I sort of ponder at some point in the future at what point we we know where to tread so lightly and reveal ourselves from, or whether we say this is the most efficient way to get these things built. Yeah, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I, I, Maybe we should have four beers at that yeah, exactly, nondescript yeah. point in time. Yeah. Just remember to write it down. <laughs> I, think, I think you've got something really cool there. I mean, obviously, the thing which I, I find fascinating is this it's a it's a numbers game for prediction. Mm. So, you know, you're always, you, you give your prediction and you also say how accurate you expect it to be. That's, you know, how it works, you know. So, I think this will happen with 80% reliability. So, so that means that 20% there's a variability and I think with your saying there and what I love about like we all the reason we're doing this is the start of the business and getting a team together is like the fun bit that's also very variable so even if you have the right product in the right space which is going right if you haven't got like a team of people focused in the right direction with a good leadership and you know good like internal engines and morals then mm. it doesn't really matter <laughs> if you're on the right mm. prediction or not you're going to be in the 20% that fails or the mm. you know the 80% that fails um, as it happens so mm. I, I just love the mix of science and, and people how have you found going from the well, the two of you in a pub to what is it 260 people now? I sent an email yesterday. This is how I do it when I yeah. sent my all swans email. Yeah, um, 330 and I was wow. my seat. Wow, yeah, wow. fucking terrifying! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of people. Yeah. And because, because also, 
very data centric companies can tend to run on the leaner side actually than the the sort of sales heavy ones because mm. your product sells itself to some degree. Yes, and we at the moment I think because this this technology is well, a we spend a fortune on R and D, but with that aside, um, uh, it's very new technology. So a lot of this is really holding our customers' hands. First mm. of all, for trust, because it, you know it sounds a bit mad, mad. Like yeah, we can tell you exactly what your sales will be in eighteen months' time. It takes a bit of convincing mm. <laughs> at the moment, at least mm. anyway. Um, although we got you know having products and shelves helped, so a lot of it's hand holding. But then it just destroys primary research as we know it. It's the new primary research. So you, we need a lot of consultants and really smart people just to help our customers work out how they you know how that works with their existing process they still they'll still use bases to test the concept you know but how does that work with this prediction that we know it's going to be popular so we are doing a hell of a lot of educating at the moment as well you know and on how this can be useful educating ourselves yeah. <laughs> and educating our customers so they'll there'll be a lot of people I think in Black Swan and we'll overspend because we've got a big mission ahead of us and how have you found the learning curve? Because, I mean, obviously you've, you've run companies before, but presumably never to this scale. And I think I saw some of the, maybe you were thinking of going listing on NASDAQ, and you've obviously raised a ton of um, equity funding before. Like, how, how has that been? Do you ever get imposter syndrome? Yeah, every yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> every day. I, uh, just really lucky. There's been some core things that have changed. You know, really good people and really good managers we brought in who've helped improve the quality of our people and our processes. You know, so I, I walk into some of the people in Black Swan and they're just so smart. Mm. And they're just so much smarter than I am. And mm. I know that. And they know that. But they're mm. very polite about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so, but I do, yeah, I do, I'm just humbled, you know, by some of the people we've been lucky enough to work with. And, you know, it's just my job to try and make sure we're all facing in the right direction. Yeah. And 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 trying to get there. So yeah, I have I have you know, I have moments where I'm like, I don't think I deserve this. Yeah. You know, and why are these people even doing it? But you can't do that, otherwise, you know, you're not doing your job, which yeah. is to pretend you're really confident. Yeah. And running yeah. around. Um so yeah, I definitely feel it. I yeah. definitely feel it. Interesting. But also for for employees moving out of this company, if if I were to leave Black Swan, you're kind of Unplugging from the matrix of the sum of, of a huge fire hose of information, that like you're learning so much about human behaviour, like you, on an unparalleled yeah. scale with unparalleled data. You might go, I'll leave and I'll go work for KPMG or Deloitte or, or work for my own company now. But it's like it's like you suddenly sort of the take ta- the, the virtual the tap switches off and you you become a mere mortal again, having sat at the heartbeat of this th- you know three hundred strong organisation where you are, are, are seeing. The future basically is mad, it, 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 and we're really lucky. So you know, m- most of us ones have been with us, you know, stayed with us. Yeah, but it is right for people to go and you know, because sometimes yeah. the structure of the business means you haven't got the opportunity you want, and that's even more important than working on like the coolest technology in the world. Mm. Um, but yeah, we definitely get when I because we have some good, you know, we're always remain friends. So we have a good people come back, and we'll always talk about them coming mm. back, and they'll always you know kind of go, go I miss being able to like actually know. Mm. <laughs> yeah, just one more hit, please. <laughs> Do you call your office the lake? <laughs> we should do actually, <laughs> shouldn't we? <laughs> Ironically, we've got a, an office in a place called Lake Forest. That's never occurred oh, really? to me. Thank you. I'll use that. I just You're wonder welcome. how far the sort of the Swan sort of cultural. We've got so many Swan right. Swan gags. It's like it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah we, uh, it's a it's a stamp of authority. And with signet interns. With that curiosity, is there any tie-in or was there any tie-in to the the, the Nassim Taleb? 
Black, Black Swan was it? Was it called Black Swan? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I should was that be. at the same time? Did it, it was out. It was out pretty much the same time. It should be, but I hate the book, so we yeah. don't really talk about it. I mean, people often reference it, but it's a really good way of them understanding our philosophy of yeah. predicting things because everyone should have seen it coming, but everyone's looking at the wrong data. It's the Black Swan story, you know. It, but he's just like a really difficult man to read, isn't it? Mm. Oh, I haven't read it. I haven't read it. You can get through a chapter. But you're writing. You're writing your own book. Yeah, or uh, beginning the the documentation process. Do you fancy yeah. yourself as a as a writer? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know. I really don't know. Um, <laughs> Find uh, out. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Ask me again whenever I get kicked out of here and I get to finish it. Uh, yeah. Um, no, it's been really interesting, and it kind of it just sort of started at the beginning because I was such a fraud. So it's called the accidental CEO. Yeah. Because when I started this job, I was uh, really a, just a developer. Yeah. Um, with social skills, well, I probably still have, but social skills of a peanut, you know, and like <laughs> I wasn't able to talk in front of people yeah um so it's just it just shouldn't have been me but like you know life shapes you you know yeah. puts you through things and you get through and you know okay maybe maybe so i just started writing these things down because i just thought it was interesting and funny um and with technology i've got a couple of scripts that allow me to get all my emails and my location my photos and my notes together really easily um and so yeah i'm just it'd be really exciting to see like i'm just really interested to see what it all feels like yeah. you know at the time when they ship me off and go we need someone decent to run this business now it's all a bit serious <laughs> yeah. i mean look forward to like sitting my manchet and finishing it <laughs> oh, but that's difficult isn't it that we, we need somebody serious to run this business let's say full shareholder yes. growth yeah yeah and then and then where does it end up mm. do you know what i mean it's like that that is the, the turning point is you as a sort of beneficent benevolent mm. founder uh, hands over the reins to sort of the corporate dreadnought or, or whatever he might be who just says that it, I just want to Monetize. mine mm. yeah and then and then I don't know how you'd feel on that island I'm terrified yeah it would be scary. I, terrified. I, would. I feel I feel like this should have some kind of moral imperative to try and keep you always close to the business short of it, it corrupting its own so not as long as you don't get in the way yeah of the, yeah. the leadership because leaders need to be leaders don't they? they can't have people hanging around and doing things yeah I, I mean I'm being open I've never been asked this question but inside I'm terrified you know because no matter how much I bitch and moan about you know people bitching and moaning to me which is a lot of my life um, <laughs> and the, like my wife you know only a few years ago woke up and I was crying on the end of the bed because um, I didn't think we'd make payroll and, I, and we were losing so much money and we just weren't getting any traction and it was all all we're gonna you know so those moments sometimes you're like why, why am I doing this why, why am I doing yeah. but the buzz <laughs> and like yeah. the thought of it being taken away you know the fact I can stand up with our guys and go guys we've just won these guys well done you know the buzz we all get from being together and doing it, it terrifies me that when they get switched off what will happen yeah. what will happen to my brain so back to DJing that's the only thing yeah, yeah please <laughs> uh, I, I also have a question so this one's a bit of, sort of uh, far reaching but when you take organisations like Twitter and they start to implement it's not, it's not freedom of speech in positions but they, they have got a right mm. to stop people having this free discussion which may inform the freedom of the data and information you can collect so what's your opinion on the curtailing of discussion and it doesn't need to be too politicised it can come from a data point of view but mm. has that occurred to you in recent years as they started to sort of police it more yeah it's 
well, it's a terrifying thing, really, isn't it? Because we've just suddenly opened this channel, which is so loud now that everyone can have a voice. And in a lot of ways, that is the most amazing thing. But in a lot of ways, it's terrible. You know, you look at kids and stuff being bullied on social. Mm. And so I think we, we, I mean, we think about those things quite a lot, and Twitter think about them quite a lot as well. Um, in reality, people will always find a place to have their voice. So if it's not on Twitter, it's on Reddit. You know, if it's mm. not on, you know, and there are, you know, or yeah, there are, there's always a place to. To, to go and find it for a prediction and data perspective. But yeah, I'd, I mean, it, it does, it's a difficult time at the moment just because we've got a new, we've got a new gun. <laughs> um, you know, we haven't quite used mm. worked out how to fire it and how mm. it's very useful. We definitely know that, but it's a bit terrifying that we sometimes give it to the wrong people. That's interesting thinking of it as, as a gun because obviously there's things that have to be ed, you know educated on and, and prepared for, whereas we mm. don't prepare anybody for their life online. That's really well said. Yeah, that is that is a big problem, isn't no it? Safety. It's interesting, that isn't it? There's no you'd think of what now of all the classes we have. You know, sex education was fun, wasn't it? But yeah. why isn't there a you know a clearer sort of well, guideline? Well, what for what kids? it occurs to me is, is there's a different relationship with yourself online. Some people act with impunity, mm. say what they want, and I don't know if they'd ever say that if you were in the same room as them. Yeah, or they think about the emailer who emails you. Yeah, slags yeah. you off an email. You're like, come on, dude. Well, they slag Safe in his dark yeah. room. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, <laughs> or somebody be be slagging off Conor McGregor, who's a, who's a you know he's a cage fighter, and that's their prerogative. Yeah. It's like you, you you of course you wouldn't say that to his face no. because there'd be drastic repercussions <laughs> of, of insulting them. So it's, yes. it's it's even understanding that relationship that we don't even necessarily understand ourselves of. of Mm. It's like that book, um, Everybody Lies, which sort of talking yeah, about the, the, our search engine holding more truth about us than maybe we mm. do. It's like, it's just, it is fascinating to try and understand how that will play out because. Mm. Um, I think you nailed something just then, which we don't think about, is, is just preparing kids. You know, I don't know why we don't do it. I don't know why we don't, you know, teach it the same way as we treat everything else important. And we just try and give them the tools they need to make better decisions. We don't. We just put them online. <laughs> Good luck. But then who's the age of your choice? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> then you've got, you've got the conflicts between platforms that arise from, from, mm. from the West, Silicon Valley. And then you've got like TikTok and, and stuff that's come from China. And you couldn't go, well, look, when you, here's your protocol for going and using mm. WhatsApp, WeChat, you know, you'd almost be then being prescriptive about mm who should be using what, which is why it's such a... It yes. seems like now, today, the, the problems and systems have become so large that it's impossible to have a universal... Yeah, yeah they have no jurisdiction. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. They're, they're their own super countries. It's like Pangea themselves. I mean, yeah. and mm. it, it was funny. So mm. in trying to get my head around sort of my predicting what startups may, may be useful in the next coming years, there's been a sort of emergence about people and, and platforms like TikTok. Mm. And having been on it, I just... I just do not understand it anymore. It was that moment where I, I'm like, am I too old to understand what it is? That do? And it sounds really cliche, but, but it's just video after video of lip syncing. And I, and I just think from your point of view, it's like, can, is there any useful so that, data, yeah. information, or anything to get from this other than people sort of like muted karaoke without singing? I don't, I don't know. Well, at the moment, it's not one of our top data sources, but mm. that way. But there's always a use in some data, isn't there? Mm. So who knows? I'm sure we'll find one at some point. Or, or if you're going to tell a client this will be a great marketing channel for you and Disney feels obliged to have their own... Then that's also, yeah. TikTok, yeah. That's also... I mean, we have a lot of people, our customers will say, so at the moment, we don't really look at images. You know, we have a vague idea of imagery, but we don't understand an image like we understand... You know, use NLP to understand. But, and our, a lot of brands will say to us, that, you know, you need to do this. But in reality, there's so much data out there. You just need a rep sample. You just need a representative sample. You don't need you don't need all the data mm. <laughs> ever. You just need to be absolutely sure that the representation of data you have is what you need to get the prediction right that you want. So, you know, some of these things you probably never get to just because 
Twitter will be really good for a while. And, mm. <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, again, the data questions are so interesting, isn't it, when you start thinking about it? Are you, are you largely optimistic? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, don't you have to be? I think no, everyone well, on this well, thing must be. Well, I mean, I, I guess about the, the direction we're steering ourselves with, with this new online life mm. discussions, the fads, trends, you know, you're seeing it emerge. And, and one of the biggest ones at the moment, as Ollie said earlier, is this impact. We want to be able to solve the issues of climate change. Mm. And that will need us to form some kind of consensus and, and collective action. So you generally sit on the side of positivity when it comes to... I totally. I mean, I think I chat earlier about education, you know, and it doesn't have to be, you know, persuading people, just educating people about the effects of online and using it. I think there's a bit of some, you know, we need to pick that up, I think. But if you look at, you know, you know what social is doing to change governments at the moment, we never had that. Mm. You know, where in governments where you could just hide something behind your own media... Thing, how would people really know what's going on? Whereas we find out now. Because <laughs> like Trump out. tweets it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but we do, we do, and then we get that weird interview that everybody had with Prince Andrew, where we go, like, oh, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was like well, something's happened here, and we're, we're all pretty suspicious. And and basically, the boot does fit, but we're being told that the boot doesn't fit, and there's a sort of slightly uncomfortable sweeping under the carpet, and it doesn't really work. But it also, you don't really have the you know, you haven't got the smoking gun to... No, but I think social did a lot, didn't it? So people's opinion, because they were so loud, has caused, you know, it hasn't caused whatever could have happened, but it's definitely pushed things in the right direction, I think. You know, whereas if it wasn't there, it would have been definitely under the carpet. Yeah, true. I mean, I don't know if it happened or not, but mm. I'm just saying that this platform is really good at, you know, stopping things from disappearing, mm. you know, mm. and people are quite passionate using it, so... But you do still see that at the moment on YouTube, but people be like, and Epstein didn't hang himself. And people just keep, keep, resurging. you know, they do not want to let it go because it's like, can we, can we just address this one <laughs> yes. questionable yeah. thing? It's yeah. Just, yeah. It makes you feel like you're losing your mind sometimes. You're like, okay, this can't, this can't. How am I going? Yeah. Because yeah. there's a bit of an echo chamber, isn't it? We see, I love that when we see like a trend go from different networks to different countries, how they travel. You know, K-Beauty was one I just thought was amazing, came from Korea. It's like, mm. um, you know, seven-step beauty they go through, got really picked up here. And that's sort of like we call K-Food now, which is kind of, came with the, reflection back to career of its own thing it was just like you see trends and moving around the world and you know some of them are completely mental and will come back at you again and again but some of them are like oh that's so cool what's the favorite what's your favorite if you had to pick one of all the client projects you've done mm. wow um i think what we did recently on um, actual sales so as i said the, there was a kind of vision of black swan which was bringing data together um, and up till one year ago, we could proudly say that we can predict future trends and that we were 90% accurate in predicting that trend. We hadn't really linked it to actual sales. So there's still, the, it makes sense, right? If more people are talking about it, more people are buying it. Yeah. But that's not necessarily real and to what ratio. So yeah, recently we, um, on an alcohol customer of ours, mapped all of their portfolio of sales with five years of social data. Um, and we were able to project forward 18 months with over 90% accuracy, tell them what the size of the market was going to be. We wow. know that because we went historically five years back and predicted using the same algorithm again and again and again. Um, and But what was cool about that, but it gave me as the first real, real, I think, genuine Black Swan moment where it predicted all of the, um, all the products they had really accurately, really well, but it also predicted well the products they didn't have. 
Because if you think about it, people are mentioning stuff on social, and because we've tied the value of social to a sale, even if this, we don't have any idea of the sales, because it doesn't exist, we can project forward and see what the sales will be. So we're now predicting sales of products that don't even exist. Wow. Have to Does that us. mean they're going to make products as a result? Absolutely, yeah. So this is like the milk farmers should way. have made kefir. More gins. Mm. More dragon, gins. Dragon fruit gin. <laughs> I couldn't possibly Let's comment. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are we doing here? It was amazing. <laughs> I don't even know what dragon fruit is. I, can't, I literally can't picture it. I've been trying to in the back of my head. It's, um, it looks like a starfish, doesn't it? I just keep on thinking of a jackfruit. Quite ugly is quite an ugly thing. It's surprising. It's even tasty. It's popular, but it's, it's, well. Or is it just healthy for us? Very good for you. Very Back good. to trend. Yeah. Yeah. So more gins, more gins, more gins, more gins. But what? I think if you look at alcohol, but fee, fee, fee for, so basically, if we can get fever tree stock somehow, because everybody's not, not doing too bad, yeah, and that's yeah. going to continue. Um, yeah, but it was in fact just like the guy's face when we presented it. You know, I think he just. We always knew, and like the science is always there, but like to actually, because we, we basically blank enveloped it and we said, look, this is what we think your sales were, these items, and here's the one. So we had mm. no idea what they actually were. And then it kind of, we looked at numbers and opened the envelope and it, everyone was just dead silent. And then when we went, here's another two envelopes of huge products that are gonna be huge in 18 months and don't exist. And explained why, he just, this guy was like. <laughs> so I assume this works so really cool. well for consumer facing proposition because when I thought about that, it's like, Alcohol sort of sells itself based on the, the suite of, of stuff and a, a vaguely competent bar man. Um, do you have any aspirations or, or ability to predict within the B2B environment? There's not much data um, in B2B environment, so we generally don't. You're bang, you're bang on. Consumers talk about things. If they're talking about it, we can predict the future. If they're not talking about it, we've got no data. Can't predict anything. Would so. you go to back channel like negative sentiment about a, a, a brand or a company? that Because especially as, let's say, companies get tied more to ethical discussions mm. they're going to go and try and enter into that environment at which point they're part of public discourse and you'll be able to see you know screw you yeah so actually it's oil and gas company versus bp who may have a better image or something yeah that's a actually really smart idea so we so we predict brands as just part of our mix you know we're predicting all sorts of things we predict ingredients bits with it but you also predict brands so although we don't do brand tracking which is kind of what you're describing yeah you could, absolutely you could do predictive brand tracking I mean we, we don't do it but it would make perfect sense you should mm. be able to say this is where this brand is going to be you know and the messages to why people hate it or love it um, well, yeah we've just never done it, it and sense. within the prediction environment so so just kind of go back to the, the Netflix example was should we cater to the, the desire the want of the masses and assume that as a rational audience on which to create the the, the, the rest of the world because basically what we're doing is we're tying to sort of a, a, cent, a center point yeah, right yeah. and the more the data informs where the data goes it kind of straightens into this sort of a, the overfit yeah yeah, yeah and, and, and at what point should a brand step outside of itself and do something completely sort of de novo and, and out there and wacky just to be completely different and, mm. and to do something that nobody expected because it wasn't self Self-fulfilling, yeah, and basically the whole Black Swan pitch, <laughs> you know, is yeah. That, yeah, people like Netflix, they know what they know because they've put their own movies out, their ideas out, and they've measured them. They don't know what the outside world might would love to see in a movie because they haven't got that data to do it. Now, if creatives will come up with new ideas, which is why it feels fresh, but even Netflix is beginning to feel a bit samey in things. Mm. You know, there are themes out there Netflix haven't touched because they're not using this data correctly in order to, you know, to enhance their... Um, I hope, I, so I, think I, I hope they're listening. 
that's the best sales pitch, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it is that you you bang on that. That is the problem. If you just you use this data set, you overfit to what you've got again and again until you just go narrower and narrower. So you need social data. Well, and so maybe on that that line of logic that when that maybe the people who have sort of outrage on on freedom of speech and 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 how people align are probably not giving the the corporate sort of the corporate uh, environment enough credit. Because we always go, mm. my voice is not being listened to. But if you're, if you're spreading it on social and, and it's being picked up by prediction engines mm. that are saying, look, these people, this many people care about this topic and it's being discussed, then it does inform the decisions made by the corporates. And therefore, in theory, it should trickle down into society. And what yeah. people are saying is, you who opposes me are not listening to what I'm saying. Mm. But then actually, but who's, who's saying so, that? so let's say we, we have a, a, you know, someone has a debate with you on, on a controversial progressive topic at the moment mm. and they just go that person doesn't agree with me therefore if, if they don't agree with me society is not a reflection of my my wants and my desire for equality or whether it's unisex toilets or whatever it might be and and what i'm trying to say is it almost doesn't matter that the other person doesn't listen to you because if 70 percent of the people are just freely having this discussion saying what we want is unisex toilets mm. then then people listening in on this conversation can then inform their decision making and therefore it becomes a reality mm. even if the people they're arguing with don't necessarily change their opinion, if that makes mm. any sense. Mm. So you're almost catered for without having to be, you're being silently yeah. listened to. Basically. Adding the weight to an argument in an algorithm somewhere where someone will make Yeah, so there's value in speaking and mm. saying it always, simply yeah. because somebody may be listening that's informing mm. their... And you never know who you're going to influence. That's a great thing about social. You know, I could write a tweet now and just randomly it could be picked up by someone I've never met and it might change their life forever. Mm. That's, that's the beauty of this. Would your predictions engines consider something like influence? Yeah, so we, our, our predictions, of this like a secret ingredient of seven parts and influencers is a strong, um, a strong feature of that algorithm. So if somebody has 100,000 users and they are... It helps. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not everything, but it helps. Interestingly, what you're really looking for is the influence of the influences. So what you kind of find, and when you look at these network maps of influence, there's like a super influencer who in themselves is not that popular because they're so into the thing they're doing, so they don't get a big gathering, but your influencers will know about these people, and they'll be a bit more generic, so people are able to you know, absorb their message a bit better. So it's not, mm. it is, the theory is right about super influencers, but there's actually a stage further. You want to find the people who are digging up the gold dust, which the influencers are then broadcasting. Mm. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, so we, we like to end with this sort of formulaic, just quick fire questions. And the first one is always, and it sounds going to sound weird in this one, it's a prediction for the future. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, pick anyone you like. And we'll know it's true. I don't even think I can answer that. It's like, yeah. I'm totally yeah, not fair to answer. So can, can, well, can you make any, any predictions about um, maybe... I don't know, fun or exciting technologies you think may be more, more prevalent in our lives? Uh, I, I am, I'm, and what we're seeing actually, just, I never thought the Internet of Things was going to be so big as it is. Mm. I think that's one where, and I'm taking that by looking at the brands and the conversations people are going on, so I am cheating, <laughs> but it's still my kind of prediction anyway. I, I think Internet of Things, we're going to be hit by that by the end of this year in a way we never even thought really? saw coming. Yeah, yeah it's cool. interesting. Because well, I, I, electric cars are big for that. Yeah, and charging. And, and how but that. even your house, I think, I'll be surprised if most of us don't have a, at least six or seven Internet of Things devices in our house by the end of the year. And think our buying patterns one every three years. Yeah, well, actually, that's what I mean with the electric car actually becoming part of the that, thing, the, yes. that house scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so going to be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. There, there does seem to be like a, a few missing pieces. The idea that you you come home and speak to Alexa it doesn't doesn't quite fit yet but I think if it starts communicating 
with your car and, and everything else, it's going to be pretty, pretty yeah. cool. And the, and the yeah. grid. Yeah. The grid, yeah. Well, that's yeah. super exciting in terms of the, the evening of supply chain of, of storage oh, yeah. of energy. I mean, by the time it's we do that, amazing. like, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 I feel it's getting near to critical mass mm. for your cheat, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then what about on your, on your journey? Have you found a particular book or, or resource or tool particularly useful mm, uh, as an entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, there's a book called How Stella Saved the Farm. Um, really interesting just to read. I mean, there's loads. I, I, I love reading. I've got some amazing books. But that's the one which I tend to read again and again. Okay. It's really interesting. It's actually a, a, a story of innovations. It takes all of the innovation classics, all like all consumed into this book, which is like a cartoon book. It's like sort of 40, 50 pages. It's right. exactly two glasses of wine long. Um, <laughs> so you can read it in an evening and remind yourself. But it's, it's, all, it's, it's supposed to be how a company can re- can change itself and find a new business and it's but it's all based in this farm that's dying because you know all the big farms are taking over the small farms and can they change their product from one wool to the other wool um, but it's such an amazing book because it actually deals with all the pressures of I mean you guys will know them inherently for what you do here but allows you to understand all the pressures of like org charts and things but all in a kind of nice cartoony uh, little yeah, light good. righty kind of way how Stella how Stella saved the farm like, honestly it's like it, I, I'm surprised not everyone in the world <laughs> has read it a couple <laughs> of times just to kind of everyone who works and is interested in new ideas this is a thought your um, when it comes to sort of FMCG or, or food based products you in theory knowing that the trend would be in 18 months time could go back to the farmers and inform potentially their growing patterns in advance of the market picking up well, yeah, spot on. now we've got to 18 months this is a breakthrough because now we actually are beginning to hit long-term supply chain we've got a stretch if we can stretch another seven or eight months in our prediction length which we think we can um, then we're into actual growing patterns and being able to influence right to the core of products so yeah you're spot on we're not quite there yet but like I'm um, fingers crossed and that could be a huge uh, influence over food waste if people just yeah. don't make islands of food that, that nobody wants yeah. right? and that would be amazing you know those are the kind of things that you know it's nice to make loads of money it really is but like if you can do it and do something like that yeah then you're cooking that would be really cool and on the topic of food if you could have dinner with anyone tonight alive or, or dead um, they would come back to life for the dinner. Um, <laughs> Would <with> they <a> smell? <laughs> <laughs> Who would they be? Oh, wow, what an amazing... Uh, yeah, I would like, love to have dinner with Daniel Dennett. Uh, he's alive, fortunately, so mm-hmm. he probably won't smell Math- that bad. Um, he's mathematician, philosopher, the yeah. godfather of cognitive science. Um, my favourite phrase about him is um, he talks about an alarm clock and like if you're trying to explain to an alarm clock what an alarm clock is, it doesn't understand because it hasn't got anything to understand what alarm clock is. So you, you keep on putting these items into the alarm clock so it can understand the concept of alarm clock. By the time you get there, it's no longer an alarm clock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just, like, I, he's just got so many amazing That's little so kind good, of yeah. stories that explain <laughs> complex things. I think a dinner with him, you'd be like, you would just be like mind blown by the end of it. Well, if you're listening, get in touch. Well, can I also <laughs> just insert another story that we captured just before uh, the interview about you meeting the uh, Warren Gatlin oh, yes. and members of the, the Welsh rugby team? So you you got to meet some of your heroes. Got to meet some of and I, actually he was, think, I was, I was thinking about when you first said dinner, I was like, I wouldn't mind having dinner with Warren. Um, that was incredible. Um, scary, scary. Did he buzz off? When you exchanged information, presumably some patter about the rugby, but did he ask you what you did and you told him, well, I've got this prediction engine. 
Um, no, not really, actually. No. I just asked him, did he have any leadership advice? And I didn't really talk about a company as such. I just was really fascinated to see, because I just think he'd got the, sorry, this is very Welsh, but he'd taken a broken nation of people mm. and just put a foundation in for success. Mm. Just hear him talking about things like family first and just the way he's so authentic and watching him live it was just like a mind-blowing experience and definitely changed me. Um, but he was a bit terrifying as well, so I don't know if I'd want to have dinner with him. He's got quite terrifying. For him and Eddie yeah. Jones both have a pair of faces on them that look like thunder. Eddie Jones escaped from Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I saw him when I was in Japan actually walk past us because yeah. we were in the same hotel yeah. as the England team. And he, he definitely is. He has, he definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, the last one, no, the last one, or the quickfire, is uh, the best advice you've ever received? Um, from my dad. Actually, it was when I uh, our studio bankrupted, um, and I'd used my parents' pension to build it up, um, and he backed me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and just going to him and just going, so dad, there's nothing left, and actually nothing, because it all went to the creditors because I'd taken loans on top of their loans, and I remember being terrified. I said, like, oh, I just got that. There's just nothing left. I'm sorry, and then he just kind of looked at me and just kind of put me arm. He says, Don't stop trying. Yeah, that was it. That was our only conversation. Yeah. It took me um, about six years to pay him back. Yeah, um, and then some now, hopefully. Yeah, and then yeah, and it's such a pleasure to be able to do it. I would never have like it get that gave me a confidence that not just that moment, but the fact he did it anyway. But mm. that that moment just made me realise that like I was just going to keep trying, <laughs> and that yeah. I wasn't going to, you know, if he was cool with that, then I could cope with anyone, <laughs> you know, and telling anyone anything. So yeah, that was the best advice. Best so advice. You, I ever yeah, had. You, you you get the kind of prodigal son parable go through your head of just being the the one that came back with nothing. And you're just like you've gone out into the world and <laughs> yes. all you've done is made it more difficult for your dad and that's the last thing you want yeah. to do. Uh, he wanted to sow all the beans and come back, you know, and yeah. you just think, I've, I've fucked it. Fucked it. Yeah. And, but his attitude towards that would have would have presumably been a good precursor for, for Black Swan and trying if he'd done nothing but say, well, you're going to get a job and you're going to pay me back militantly and, you know, this, that, the other. He didn't even ask for payback, you know. And they, really? you know, they're, they're definitely not rich, but he just believed, he thought what he did was the right thing at the time, and never made me feel as if it was my fault. He said, "We we invested in you because we think you can do it, and it wasn't your time now, but you'll do it at some time." Mm. Uh, I was just, you know, that's great. Good prediction from him. Yeah, he got that right, didn't he? Mm. Must have more data than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question we like to ask is is. For anybody who's listening to a podcast, if you could ask them anything in terms of helping you on your your journey forward, what would that be? So the thing that has to help me? You personally or, or your company? Whichever oh, you. God, well, God, I'm helped by so many people. It's, it's hard to think what, um, what you'd ask. I think it would be good to some of the things we talked about here about social networks um, and AI. There's, we're in such a new field um, that I just worry sometimes that there isn't enough thinking in it on education and talking to people. And so if you think about it, you know, the tools we build can do things that people don't know, you know, and we don't, you know, we are the, we decide the rules, you know, and we know there's been some people who've been, you know, it's been looked back historically and said that was really bad. I have no idea in five years time if someone might go black swan, you know, the context may change in the world and go, wow, what are you doing? You know, that was terrible. Mm. You were you were predicting things, you know, without asking people and getting their permission. I mean, they are broadcasting, I know, but I just, I just worry a bit that there isn't enough guidance from government, there isn't enough guidance from think tanks on, so we make these decisions as founders, all of us do with this AI technology, you know, on what 
gut feel and it just worries me that you know we might one day look back on it and it's not the decision we thought it was like mm. smoking everybody's thinking that was so cool now it's like mm. very not cool <laughs> so you mean more, more people in the, entering the discussion and, and looking at their responsibilities around it yeah and and sometimes like setting guidelines and things like that it doesn't even matter if they're right but it at least gives a bit of gravity which people can compare them to and you know I'm not one to like have loads of rules but there are no rules for what we do so mm. maybe a couple might be useful <laughs> <laughs> um, well Steve it's been uh, it's been absolutely fascinating to have you on I really enjoyed it it was great um, thank I think you anybody listening it. should find out how to get hold of some dragon fruit <laughs> <laughs> um, but really lovely to have you on and I'm really excited to see what you come up with in the future brilliant very nice to meet Thanks you both so thank much, you for Steve. finding the time if you enjoyed this or any of our other conversations, we'd love to get your feedback. Our Twitter handle is at the Startup Mike, M-I-C, or get us an email, oliored, at startupmicrodose.com. If you're feeling particularly generous of spirit, a review on iTunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations. Finally, this recording could not have happened without the support of Founders Factory backed Entail. Their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building, London, are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out entail.co. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.